Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. I agree with that prayer that Susanna just prayed. Let our guards down and let him in. Amen? Let our guard down, let him in. So uh, before I get into the message, I want to just take a moment because uh, we are up to 92, it looks like. I'm seeing the, the number from here. But I can tell you this, our goal was 100 boxes, but we handed out all of the boxes that we received, which was 150. And so my guess is that we're going to be 150, and we know that we can do more than just the boxes that say Operation Christmas Child on it, so we may even eclipse 150. So our goal of 100, like, we already are talking, we're going to have to do more next year. Okay, so we got that. We understand. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. And so I just wanted to take a moment, and we're going to pray for these boxes, because these boxes, I know we stuffed them, we put stuff in there, and it all sounds really cool, but these are going to actual kids who don't get anything else for Christmas. And the most important part of this is that with this goes the gospel of Jesus and who he is and how powerful a savior he is. And so that's the most powerful part. So let's be uh, praying. But I want to just pause and let's pray for all these boxes that we're going to send all over the world. Would you join me? All right. God, I pray for every box that has been packed, that will be packed, and that we will send out. Lord, the, the joy on the kids' faces is clear when they open the box and they see all the stuff. But God, that is actually nothing compared to the joy of having you as Savior. And so Lord, for every single box that goes out, we ask and we pray that your presence would be so powerfully attached to every person that receives one of these boxes that they would understand that you, God, exist and that you love them so much you sent your son to die for them. And may they realize that and accept that and believe that as a result of simply a touch from somebody from all the way across the world. God, we pray that you would just use and move with these boxes to show people how much you love them. And we look forward to hearing the stories of that. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. All right. Well, welcome to Northridge. Glad that you are here. Thank you for being here. Um, I don't know if you realize this. Uh, this may or may not be true of, of a lot of churches, but at our church, we have a very wide range background of people. We have a lot of people. We have people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, people that are kind of new to their faith in Jesus. And then we have people that are here, quite a few, that they're not quite sure where they're at with Jesus. They're just not sure. They're not sure if they believe in God. They're not sure if they want to follow Jesus. Uh, they're not sure if they, they want to trust the Bible, those kind of things. We have people all across the board. And so I just want to say for everybody in the room, for everybody online, we see you. Um, this is a place where it's okay wherever you are with God. Just know that we are really serious about God. We are really serious about Jesus. We are really serious about God's word. And so that's what we always are praying and hoping for is that people find the power of the Savior that God sent Jesus to die for you. All right, but this is a safe place no matter where you are because we know not everybody's there yet. So uh, I want to start by asking for uh, some volunteers. So before I tell you what you're volunteering for, because I know a lot of people are like, yeah, sure, like what are we doing? Um, all I'm going to ask you is I'm going to ask you a very simple question. It's an opinion question. It's a question that has to have a right or wrong answer. And so I just need three people. Are there three people that are willing to come up and answer an opinion question? Anybody want to come up here? Anybody, anybody, anybody? 
anybody at all. Anybody? No. Elliot, come up. Get up here. All right. He raised his hand. Kenneth, get up here. Susanna, get up here. Okay. All right. Come on up. All right. Give them a hand because they're coming up. This is awesome. All right. You're going to find out what I'm doing here. All right. Uh, Susanna, yeah, right over here. Elliot, you take the middle. Kenneth, you go on that side. All right. Good. All right. We're here. So uh, just all I'm going to ask you guys to do is I'm going to ask you guys... Uh, let's move over just this way, just a little bit. Okay, perfect. Okay, we're good. Um, I just felt like I was uh, cramming Mark's uh, thing over here. So uh, I just want to ask you a very quick question, and then I'm going to give you something as a result. So the question is very simply this. You guys know, if I were to say, what is my favorite food, what would you guys say? Cookies. Everybody knows, okay? Right? Because I talk all the time. Yeah, cold sandwiches, right? Cold meat sandwiches. <laughs> okay. All right. Don't ever give me a cold meat sandwich. I'll be like, thank you. I'm going to be very nice. And in my head, I'm going to be like, eh. Okay, very good. Um, I love cookies. So my question to you guys is very simply this. And we're going to start with you, Susanna. What is your favorite food? It can be dinner food. It can be dessert. It doesn't matter what it is. Just tell us your favorite. And, and tell, us, uh, tell us your name, too, first. Oh, I'm, I'm Susanna. I <laughs> really like Thai chicken curry. Thai chicken, anybody Thai chicken curry in the house? Okay, all right. Uh, Susanna, for giving such a good answer, I'm going to give wow. you a dollar, yes. and, uh, and you can go down. Thank you for being here. You just made some money. Uh, all right, see, you guys should have volunteered. You're missing out. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, give us your name. Tell us your favorite food. Elliot. Okay, Elliot. I'm going to go with uh, sushi. Sushi. Yeah. How many sushi people in the house? All right, there's a handful of sushi people. All right. Well, Elliot, I don't know if this is a better answer or not, but I'm going to give you $2. Congratulations, and you can go down. So, sorry, Susanna, I apologize. All right. Uh, all right. So, last but not least, uh, give us your name and tell us your favorite food, Kenneth. My name is Kenneth, and my favorite food is mac and cheese pizza. Ooh, that's very special. Anybody else with him, mac and cheese pizza? Oh, you, you got as many people as sushi, all right? That's awesome. Well, you know what? I think not because you got maybe the most hands, but I'm going to give you, Kenneth, $5 for volunteering, all right? Give him a hand. Thank you. That's awesome. All right, now. Here's the question I have. Now, you can tell that I just asked him a question to do something else. You, you kind of probably figured that out, right? Susanna, you got a dollar. How do you feel? You were like, yeah, you got a dollar. That was pretty awesome. And then, pretty awesome, right? Okay, how did you feel after I gave Kenneth five? Still okay. All right, all right. Sounds good. Elliot, you got two, right? Okay, Here, okay, all right. Kenneth, how do you feel about your five? Okay, you're loving life. He gave me a big thumbs up. He's like smiling big. Okay, here's the truth. I asked them the same question. They gave different answers, but I asked them the same question. They did the same amount of work. But I gave one $1, one $2, and I gave one $5. How do they really feel about it? I don't know. They said, oh, we're pretty good. I mean, they're a dollar richer than you were before, right? Okay, that's not quite enough for retirement. I apologize, all right? You're going to have to work a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. But the truth is that we could look at what you were given and what would change your feelings about it. It wouldn't be how much was given. It was what everybody else got compared to you. Isn't it? The problem is not what you were given. The problem is you comparing it to what everybody else got, which changes the feeling about it, doesn't it? The feeling changes when you compare. Well, 
I'm going to get into it. So we are in this series called Cow Tipping. And, uh, and by the way, I'm in the same position as Ryan because I was at the Badger game last night as well. And I did a lot of cheering. And so if my voice cracks like it just did, it's going to happen. So I apologize ahead of time, all right? There was a lot of yelling and we beat Nebraska, so we're all good, all right? So that was great. By the way, it was overtime. So I was like, are you kidding? I'm a pastor. Like, I have to preach tomorrow. But it was still awesome. I was glad because it was an amazing game. But we're talking about not tipping actual physical cows. We're talking about tipping over sacred cows. Now just to remind everybody what a sacred cow is. For the purposes of this series. A sacred cow is very simply something that we hold tightly to that is either not true, irrelevant, or not helpful. Today... This sacred cow, you've probably already figured it out, is mainly just not helpful. And it's a very subtle one. Today we're going to talk about people's tendency to compare ourselves to everybody else. We, we do that all the time. It's a sacred cow. We hold on to it. And so we're going to talk about the problem or the sacred cow of comparison. Now, the truth is, this is a subtle one, right? Have you ever been going through the day and, and things were going pretty well and then you found out something about somebody else and they're doing better than you are and all of a sudden your day got a little worse? Have you ever had that experience? Or, or maybe you were on the flip side of this. Maybe you were having kind of a bad day and then all of a sudden you meet somebody or you experience somebody that they're having a really bad day. Like it's way worse than your day. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, my day's not so bad. Have you ever experienced that? Well, what made it different? Did your day change? No. Your day didn't change. What changed? Your perspective based on comparing to somebody else. So comparison is subtle. It's fast. It kind of rears its head really fast. All right, now, uh, I want to give you a scripture that is so clear because the disciples, Jesus' disciples actually struggled with comparison. Did you know that? They really, really did. And so I actually have shared this scripture for the same reason a few years ago. So if you were here for that, you're going to hear this. You're going to be like, hi, I feel like I've heard this before. The reason is because you have, because I've talked about this. But I want to highlight it again because it's so clear, this problem of comparison for the disciples in this context. Let me set it up. So Jesus has died on the cross, buried in the tomb. It's now Easter Sunday morning. Okay, You guys remember what happened Easter Sunday morning, right? Something pretty powerful. So Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to help prepare Jesus' body, okay? And she gets to the tomb, and what does she find? Well, Jesus' body isn't there. The tomb is open, it's empty, and she's like, somebody stole the body of Jesus, right? That's all she can figure. And so she runs back, and she tries to find any of the disciples that she can, and she finds two of them. She finds Peter, and she finds John. Peter and John. Now, in this story that I'm going to read, John writes it. So he's the author. He's the one telling the story because he was there. John is writing this about himself and everybody else. And so in this story, when I read it, you're going to hear the name Peter. And then you're going to hear this phrase, the one or the disciple who Jesus loved. Or you're going to see this phrase, the other disciple. Do you know why that is? This is kind of weird. But John didn't like to even name himself in his own gospel. He didn't like to do that. He didn't like to call himself John. And so he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. I'll just be honest. It still sounds a little prideful. 
can we be honest? I'm like, he's like, I'm not going to call myself by my name, but we're going to say, I'm the one who Jesus loved, right? I'm just saying, it sounds a little bit prideful. And you're going to see that this is a little bit of an issue for John, because I'm about to read this little scripture passage. And while I read it, here's what I want you to take note of. I want you to take notice of how many times John makes a point to let everybody know that he's a faster runner than Peter. You think I'm kidding. It's in scripture. I didn't change anything. This is straight from the Bible. All right? Listen to this. All right? Easter Sunday morning, John chapter 20. I'm going to start with verse 2. She, this is Mary Magdalene, ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's John. The one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. Now catch note of this. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Right? Now just, just pause for a moment. He made a very specific point. We're running. We started at the same time. I outran Peter. I'm better. And then if you didn't catch that he outran Peter, he said, and by the way, yes, I reached the tomb first, just so that we're clear, right? Like, why do we need to know that? We don't, but he tells us. Why? Because he and Peter have a thing, right? It's like Peter always answering for Jesus, right? We don't know, but clearly there's something going on here. He's comparing. Right? Okay, let's keep going. They were both running, but the other disciple I ran, Peter, reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in. This is John, and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. <laughs> then catch this next phrase. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. It's almost like then Peter got there, finally. I had time to survey the whole situation. I looked in, the linen wrappings are there. Wow, Jesus is gone. And then finally, Peter shows up. Thanks, Peter, you're here? Okay, let's go in, right? That's the third time he's mentioned it. Okay, he's not done yet. Okay, catch this. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then, catch this, the disciple who had reached the tomb first, just in case you'd forgotten that he got there first, also went in and he saw and believed. <laughs> Hilarious! In a matter of six verses, two through eight, John reminds us four times, I'm a faster runner than Peter. Four times he compares himself to Peter. And it's just crazy. And I just, I mean, can you, can you imagine this? This is the most important in all of human history. Like this is the resurrection of Jesus. And John makes a point to make sure we all know if we're going to have a race, Peter loses. That's really not the point here. But John made sure to get, get it in there. I'm faster than Peter. I'm obviously faster than Peter. Thank you, I'm faster. Okay? The truth is that comparison is a problem for human beings, isn't it? And this is not just Peter and John. Throughout Scripture, we see that comparison is a problem. Do you remember when Samuel was sent by God to the family where he's going to pick the next king of Israel from all the sons? And he looks at Eliab, he's like, wow, that guy looks like a king. He is awesome. He works out. He's impressive. Right? 
And God says to Samuel in that moment, no, Samuel, that is not how you look at a person. You look at the heart. That's what I do, God says. I look at the heart. Stop comparing him to everybody else. That's not the measure. The measure is their heart. Something that is harder to compare. Comparison is an issue. Disciples had this issue. Do you guys remember the disciples arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the future in the kingdom of God? Do you remember the two disciples that went to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, when we get into your kingdom, can we sit on the right and the left hand? Do you remember that? Why are they doing that? Because they're comparing themselves to everybody else. They're like, Jesus, how are we going to rank according to the rest of the disciples? I mean, I know you chose 12 guys, but, but we'd really like to be a little higher than the others. Would that be okay? Why are they doing that? Because they're comparing themselves. That's not the point, is it? The truth is we all have a problem with comparison. Why? Because of sin. Now, if I were going to tell you the truth, this is, this is interesting. Uh, I had uh, kind of had this sermon kind of outlined and planned, and I knew I was going to dig into all these, all these uh, scriptures and everything. And then I started researching comparison, right? And what, you know what came up? And partly this came up because I follow Pastor Craig Rochelle fairly fairly regularly. And what popped up was a sermon that he preached on comparison. And guess what he used? He used the same scripture where Peter and John are running. I'm like, that's a really good scripture. That's really awesome. And then he went into the next part and I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's what I'm going to do. And then he gave all of these amazing quotes. And so you're going to hear a lot of Pastor Craig Rochelle quotes because you know what I had to do? I had to listen to his sermon. I was like, this is really good. So let me give you the first quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle about comparison. And this is a big problem and why it cannot be a sacred cow in our life. He says this. He says, comparison makes you feel inferior or superior and neither one of those honors God. Let that just sink in for a minute. Isn't that what comparison does? Uh, for me, I know that this is true. When I compare myself, and you know who I compare myself to most often? Other pastors. And so you know what's easy for me to do? Here's what I struggle with. If I compare myself to a pastor uh, of a church that seems to be struggling, I feel better about myself. How ugly is that? When I say it out loud, I know. Everybody's like, you do that? And I'm like, yep, I do. I do. And now I'm not saying, I'm like, I'm thinking, man, I am awesome. Thank goodness I'm a great pastor. Right? I'm not, think, I'm not going that far, but I am thinking, man, I'm doing, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. You know why? Because I compared myself to a pastor of a church that's struggling. But you know what I do then? The very next moment, the very next day, the very next conference that I go to, I go to a conference and there's speakers there and pastors of, of huge churches that are doing phenomenal things and they're, they're like, whoa, they're doing all this crazy stuff. And then I'm like, man, I suck. I do. I honestly, I think that. I'm like, oh, man, we just we need to get going. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else with me? Or is this just an internal story that I have going on, that I struggle with? No? It's a struggle, isn't it? The truth is that God does not want us to compare. Why? Because it will either make you feel inferior, which God does not want you to feel inferior, or it will make you superior, and God doesn't want you to feel superior either. He wants you to measure against who we should measure against, and that is Jesus, period. 
period. You don't need to compare yourself to everybody else. How she looks, how he looks, how fast he can run. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to compare yourself to him. And of course you're never going to measure up to God. But that doesn't matter because God knows and God loves you. God loves you just the way you are. Absolutely. Have you ever been in those situations where the comparison game has kind of started to mess with your brain? Mess in your head? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand on this. Anybody of you have a, a coworker that they're always seemingly perfect? They're always put together. They always show up. They've got the coffee. They hand out coffee to everybody else. And at the meetings, you know, the CEO or the manager, whoever's leading the meeting, the chairperson leading the meeting, and they always have the first answer, and it's almost always right. Oh. Can't you just, like, you're going into the meeting. You're, you're right away. You know that employee, you're like, they're going to have an answer. I got nothing today. In fact, I don't want to hear their answer anyway. Anybody ever been there? Right? Or, or, or students, right? You, you do a presentation in class and, and you feel like, man, that was pretty good. And then the next student gets up, next classmate gets up. They do a presentation. Everybody's laughing and then they cheer and clap when they're done. And you're like, well, man, mine stinks. Right? What, what's the problem? It's comparison. You shouldn't compare yourself to somebody else. That's not what God wants. You're going to just feel inferior or superior. Comparing yourself to others is a really good way to kill the joy in your life. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. I told you I was going to give a lot of quotes from him today. He says, one of the best ways to kill something special is to start comparing it to something else. Isn't that true? You have a great day. You posted on social media about the great day that you had with your family. Maybe your family spent an amazing day and then you get down, you're, you're going to bed at night and you start scrolling and you see your neighbor posted about what they did that day and you got five likes and they got 2,700 likes and 27 comments too. This is great, you're awesome, wow. And you got one from your best friend says, looks good. You're like, well, I thought it was a good day with my family, but apparently not. My perfect neighbor down the road, right? Why? Because comparison, you start destroying your joy, destroying something special by comparing it to everybody else. Stop comparing yourself to anybody else. Allow God to just fill you with the joy that he wants to fill you with. Stop looking around. Measure yourself against God and what he says. Now, Here's the truth. I, I gave John kind of a bad rap, right, with that story, and so I have to balance it out. Peter had the same problem, okay? Let me take you to another portion of Scripture where Peter had the same problem. This is, I kid you not, this is the very next chapter, okay? Very next chapter. John and Peter, okay, all this stuff, they had this issue before. Okay, we get John is a faster runner than Peter. Peter has a comparison problem as well, okay? So let me set up the context it's the, a few days later. Jesus is now resurrected. He has all these things. But do you remember what Peter did to Jesus before he was crucified? Do you remember what Peter did? Something not very good. He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Somebody said, hey, you were with Jesus. He said, no, I, no, I don't. No, I don't know him. You were with Jesus. No, no, I didn't. 
And then finally somebody presses like, I know you were with Jesus. Your, your accent gives you away. You're from that area. You, you know Jesus. He said, I swear I don't know the man. That's what Peter did three times. He swore, I, I don't know Jesus. Denied him. Betrayed him. So in this story, in this moment, Jesus asks Peter, this is after he's resurrected. It's just Jesus and Peter. The disciples are there, but they're not in the conversation. Jesus and Peter are talking, and Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know I love you. You know I love you. He declares his devotion and his love for Jesus. It's this beautiful reconciliation and forgiveness moment. And it's no mistake that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. He was restoring him every time for the three times that he denied Jesus. It's powerful. It's beautiful. But then something we forget happens right after that. We usually miss this part because the do you love me part is really cool. But right after that, Jesus asks Peter and tells him something. Now, before I read this, I want us to understand Peter's heart. If you read all of Scripture, all the Gospels about Peter, the biggest thing that Peter wants to do is he wants to give his life for Jesus, even physically. Do you remember when Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die for you, I will do that. Do you remember that? The only thing Peter wants to do is he wants to give his life. He wants to die for Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus tells him this. This is right after he says, do you love me? Three times. Okay? John 21, 18 and 19. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Now this is going to explain why he said that. Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Now I know that this is kind of weird to say, but the truth is what Jesus just told Peter is, you have wanted to give your life for me. The whole thing that you've wanted your life to be about is faithfulness and following me, is to give your whole life to me. And Jesus tells Peter in this moment, Peter, you and I, we're good, and you're actually going to give your life for me. In fact, you're going to die the same way that I died. You're going to be crucified because of me. Now, most of us, I don't think, you know, sometimes you think, ah, that doesn't sound like a good moment. That doesn't sound like a good day. But for Peter, you have to understand, Jesus is restoring Peter to the highest level. He's saying, Peter, you are going to give your life for me. I just want you to know that. It's this beautiful, powerful moment. Now, here's why I bring all that up. Listen to what Peter does in this, one, probably one of the most powerful moments in his whole life. This is what Peter does. Next verse, verse 20. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. Again, that's John. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow did you notice what Peter did there? Peter 
have this beautiful moment. They're reconciled. He's reconciled with Jesus. Forgiveness has been offered. And then Jesus has this beautiful moment. He says, Peter, everything you've ever wanted, you're going to give, you want to give your life to me? Uh, you're going to give your life for me. This is everything you've ever wanted. And in that moment, Peter, all Peter can do is turn around and think about the guy that runs faster than him, John. And he looks at John. And he says, but, but Jesus, what about him? Like, what's going to happen to him? Can you tell me what goes on to them? Because he kind of drives me a little crazy sometimes. I mean, thank you for telling me how I'm going to die, but I'd like to know about John. He's comparing himself. In this moment, there's this beautiful moment, and Peter loses the entire opportunity for joy in that moment. And Jesus says, Peter, who cares what I tell John what he's going to do? Stop worrying about John. Stop comparing yourself to John and start worrying about what I'm calling you to do. And then what does he say? Two words. Follow me. Follow me. Just follow me. Don't worry about everybody else. So you guys know this is the week of Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. We're going into the week of Thanksgiving. Which means what do we focus on, hopefully, for the week of Thanksgiving? Being what? thankful. <laughs> I hope, right? I mean, there's a lot of turkey. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of football. Uh, there's a lot of all kinds. Of, I, I know in our family, there's a lot of everything, right? There's a lot of other stuff going on. But hopefully, a big part of this coming week is going to be gratefulness, right? Fair, I hope. A lot of thankfulness. Can I give a suggestion because I don't know if your family does this, but I know a lot of families that do this. We go around the table before we pray or before we have the meal, and we say, just tell us one thing you're thankful for. Anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody do that? I, I, we've done that. And we don't do it every year, but sometimes we do that. I, think, I don't think that that's bad. I think that's good. If you have that tradition, I'm not going to dig in. I think that's good. I think that's, that's, I think that's great, actually. But can I be honest? Can, can, can we actually tackle something that I think will actually make you really grateful? Can I tell you what will make you really grateful? Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Immediately. Just, just work, work on that. Stop thinking. When a thought comes in your head and be like, oh man, I wish I had. That's a comparison thing. Oh man, but if only we would have. That's a comparison thing. Take all of that away and see what you actually have and who you are and who's around you. And if you stop comparing yourself or your family or your house or your car or your social media account or your stuff to everybody else, all of a sudden what you have is actually enough. And you can be grateful. One more quote from Pastor Craig Groeschel. Listen to what he says. He says, being obsessed about what others think of you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. I think Christianity in the United States is hurting largely because we are comparing ourselves to each other and we're not comparing ourselves to God. Measure yourself according to Jesus. Measure yourself according to God and his word. Don't worry about everybody else. 
In fact, let me kind of land the plane this way. In the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We've done research. we tried to figure it out. We don't know because the author doesn't identify him or herself. Okay? But what we do know is Hebrews chapter 11, we have this list of all these faithful people. By faith, Abraham did these amazing things. By faith, Moses did these amazing things. By faith, Enoch did these amazing things. And all this whole list of people that were faithful to God, faithful to Jesus. And because of that, they were doing amazing things. So we have this massive list. And so we usually focus on, it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is called. The Hall of Fame of Faith. These amazing faithful people. But then we forget about Hebrews 12. I want to read for you the very first verse of Hebrews 12 because the author attaches everything that was just said in Hebrews chapter 11 about all these faithful people and he attaches it to you and me. He says, you and I are with these people, this list, this faithful list. Listen to what the author says. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, this faithful list, okay, good. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Can I just say one of the things that I think trips us up that is sin is comparing ourselves to other people. And some, and some of you would say, I've never heard comparison called sin in the Bible. You're right, it doesn't say that in so many words. But you know what God does say is sin? Idolatry. And you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is when we put something in the place where God is supposed to be. When you compare yourself and get your joy from comparing yourself to people who are inferior to you, or you think so, or when you feel inferior because you compare yourself to somebody who's always perfect and they're always put together and they're amazing, right? And you feel superior because of that. What you are doing is you are getting your source of joy and your contentment and your peace from the world and from comparison. That is an idol. You have replaced your peace and your joy with God with something else. It's idolatry. So I think this verse could be, it's all sin, of course, but it could be very easily translated into the comparison game is definitely a piece of this. It weighs us down. And let us, then listen to this last phrase, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Did you know that God has created a race for you? Specifically, for every one of you. Every single one of you has a special specific race to run. Did you know that? It's unique to you. Nobody else has your race. You have a special, specific race that you were created for, that you were designed for. Did you know that in the Bible, it says very clearly, God knows you before you were formed in the womb. Before you were ever even a thought from anybody, other human beings, before you ever existed, Not when you existed in the womb. Before you existed in the womb, God already knew you. You know what that means? He also knows what your race is. He also knows how you're going to be designed. He knows the special gifts and abilities, the personality, everything that makes you who you are. He already knew all of that. And so when it says, run the race that God has set for you, how do we do that? Well, the author of Hebrews actually answers it. 
Listen to what he says. Hebrews 12, 2, the first part, says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. In other words, you know how we run our race? How are you supposed to run your race? How am I supposed to run my race? It's very actually, it's actually very simple. It's not necessarily always easy to do, but it's really simple. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We don't worry about all the other runners. We don't worry about everything else that's going on. We don't worry about that. So um, I may not look at today, but I was a track runner in high school. Okay? I was. I was a track runner. And I was a sprinter. You know why I was a sprinter? It's because I was slightly lazy and I liked my races over in a matter of a few seconds. Okay? 100 meter. Right? 200 meter. The 4 by 100. Uh, every now and then the 4 by 200. And sometimes if they really needed somebody badly, like I was not the best choice for this, but sometimes they'd ask me to run the 400 meter. Oh, I hated the 400 meter. I'm like, they call that a sprint? That's the entire way around the track. I'm like, my race needs to be done sooner than that. 200 is good. Like half? Awesome. <laughs> right? And that hurdles thing. Like you're going to put barriers up? No, thank you for that. No, thank you. I had amazing friends. They were just so good at that. They could hit it in stride. I'm like, I just need to run as fast as possible and not worry about the rhythm, you know? And so my, my races were sprints. Now, let me ask you this question. If I was back in high school and I came to track meet day and I was like, you know what? All the people that I love, all the cool people, they're all running the 800 meter. Two, two, two full times around the track. Not a sprint, a middle distance race. And what if I showed up and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to run 100. I don't want to run the 200. All the cool people that I want to be like, they're running the 800. So I'm going to run the 800. Now let me ask you this question. What's going to happen? <laughs> two things are going to happen. Actually, you may not be thinking about it this way, but two things are going to happen. Number one, the 800 meter is not going to go well for me. <laughs> I already told you I hated the 400. 800's twice. No thank you. The 800 is a really hard race, by the way. It's not going to go well for me. And you know what the second really tragic, tragic part of this is? I'm going to lose the race that I was supposed to run because I never ran it. Does that make sense? Can I be honest with you? Now we're not talking about running. Now, now we're not talking about track. Now we're talking about the race of life. You have a race that you're supposed to run that God created you for. You know what the fastest way is to lose the race that God gave you to run? By not running it at all. By running somebody else's race. By comparing yourself to everybody around you. In other words, we need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. When we get to the end and we face God, God is not going to judge any of us. God's not going to judge me on how well I ran your race. Right? He's not going to measure me how well I ran your race. And God is not going to measure how well you ran my race. You're not supposed to run my race. I'm not supposed to run your race. We, every one of us has a race to run. Every one of us has a uniqueness that you were built for, that you were training for, that you were created for. 
The best way to lose your race is to run somebody else's race. Don't try to run my race because it's not your race. And I better stop trying to run anybody else's race, your race or any other pastor's race. Can I be honest? There are times I find myself trying to run other people's races, especially other pastors. I'm like, ooh, that's a great idea. Wow, ooh, we should, you know, and I'll come to staff sometimes. I don't usually do this, but every now and then I'll be like, hey, you know what I, you know what I heard? Whew, we should maybe try this. And then the staff is like, you're an idiot. No, they, they've never said that. But they do look at me that way sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is a no. <laughs> Stop running other people's races. In fact, if you're here, seriously, and you're feeling discouraged, not so grateful or thankful going into Thanksgiving, I'm guessing some of us, some of you in here, this is maybe how we're feeling. You're not feeling grateful. Maybe you're feeling a little discouraged by how you measure up to other people. Let me just tell you, you don't have to measure up to other people. All God asks is that you measure according to him and his holiness, which of course we never measure up to. But can I just tell you, do, do, do we remember what God did for us? God loves you so much that he died for you. He gave his life for you. You know why? Because he believes he knows you're worth it. Why would we steal the joy of that reality by comparing ourselves to the woman who comes into work and always seems put together, to the family who always looks perfect, and you think, I should have that kind of family and that kind of existence, to the person who drives in the car, the car that you want. Anybody ever long for a certain car? I can tell you what my kids long for. They long for a Tesla because they bring it up every time we see it. It's either that or slug bug. Ah, <laughs> oh, think slug bug. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. Right? A little dangerous when I'm driving. Can I say that? Comparison. We need to tip that cow over. We need to stop because it's stealing the joy that God has for who does God say you are? God says you're a child of God. Is that enough? Actually, it is. That's all you need to worry about. Stop comparing yourself. Start running the race that God wants you to run. And stop worrying about everybody else's race. If you're running life like this, have you seen somebody lose their race because they were looking behind them or looking to the side? Oh, I've seen that so many times. Stop looking around. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race that God set for you. And God will give you joy and contentment and peace because you're not going to be worried about everybody else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
the truth is, it's so, so easy, God, for us to compare ourselves to other people, to, to compare ourselves to, to that coworker, to that, that student, that boy or that girl in our, in our school who is always seems to be the most popular. Everybody loves to hear what he, sh- he says or she says. Everybody's always modeling their clothes after that person or, or this, that, and the other thing. Everybody's quoting that person. And, and sometimes we compare ourselves, and, and sometimes we compare, depending on how, who we're comparing ourselves to, it makes us feel better about ourselves, and a lot of times it makes us feel worse. Lord, help us to start comparing ourselves to you and to the race that you want us to run. Help us to stop running everybody else's race and run the race that you've called us to run. In the way that you've called us to run it. With the skills and abilities that you've given to us to run that race. Because not only will that give us influence and impact beyond what we really could even imagine could happen, but it will also bring in joy and peace and contentment, God. We know this. You want to pour your joy and peace and contentment all over us. You want want us to experience unbelievable peace and unbelievable joy. But we can't if we're constantly worrying about what everybody else is doing. So God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to listen to who you say we are. That we are a child of God. That we are beloved by you. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stay.